everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and salam. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all for tuning in to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan and I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. is my pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank you each and every one of you. Listeners, new and old, this is your first episode, this is your 400th episode, thank you all most sincerely, because I truly appreciate every single second you have paid attention to the information and educational materials that I have provided you. I hope you were entertained as well as educated, because there's a lot of good information here. I know that there's a lot of podcasters who just want the pure entertainment of value, and they rehash the same old stories and same old shit seasonally, maybe sprinkling in a little bit of variety in the comedy and unique, quote-unquote, characters of their personas and radio uh, personalities. Um, I... You know, I mean, if that's you want, go find it elsewhere because I am of a different breed. I am of a last of a dying breed. Uh, that is one of pure uh, info dumping conversation stream of consciousness that is, you know, going to take you places no one else is going to take you uh, in terms of where if you just allow yourself to listen and to think and to follow the path of logic conclusions are made perceptions are realized um, realities come into being and are manifested that make perfect cold logical sense as well as allowing for a humanity a nature Uh, greater than any single person to fully have responsibility for this exercise in existence not only in deep space but in deep time as well thank you all for following the new schedule I see it's a smashing success thank you all Uh, September is the uh, anniversary month of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Started way back when as the Rumors of Instinct podcast with a uh, totally different trajectory, etc. But now at the same time totally uh, returned back into my uh, complete and total... uh, ownership and direction, you know, almost immediately after, I think it's, uh, 20, the end of 2020 definitely saw the entirety of the, uh, podcast itself become my sole effort and possession as a creator vehicle. And I have renamed it and reshaped it as I needed to and seen fit and absolutely, uh, have dedicated three plus years of my life to it as well as my previous and individual uh, you know character, uh, not character creation, um, that's for video games the uh, you know, creation of the channel the channel creation 
the uh, YouTube channel at first, and then how social network works, had to learn everything from the ground up. So, uh, had to learn how to network, how to learn. This, this is nothing for previous ex- career experiences. I have no education in this. The closest I have is volunteering for uh, community radio in college in terms of how audio uh, recording and everything worked. I think it's been a very steep learning curve. It's very difficult as a task. This whole project of podcasting, recording, and getting your thoughts out, expressing yourself, etc. It's been a great uh, learning uh, it's been a great challenge. I uh, spent three full years of it at already uh, surviving, um, you know, since 2020 on my efforts through this podcast. And it has survived the YouTube channel, which created it, which spawned it. It has survived uh, many different social media evolutions from dedicating myself to TikTok to dedicating myself to Instagram to dedicating myself to uh, X. You know, now currently X, uh, having seen audiences, you know, rise until the channels themselves were deplatformed for the radical truth that I share, uh, one at a time, Patreon, twice, survived two Patreons within those three years, have, uh, you know, been gang-stalked, electronically harassed, targeted, uh, with double agents, uh, undercover, you know, glowies, uh, had to, uh, block, you know, dozens and dozens of people have received death threats, have, uh, survived, have endured it, have thrived in spite of the shadow banning and the electronic harassment the online campaigns targeted against me, the attempts at uh, blackmail by, uh, you know, the Illuminati agencies that hate my message and hate uh, my freedoms and liberties and being able to speak it clearly, not as any initiate or adept in any secret society signed over to oath for this quote-unquote wisdom and knowledge, the ancient mysteries, but as a lone soul, uniquely independent, with a direct contract and direct relationship with the Oversoul, as Archaics, Jason from Archaics, uh, puts it, the Oversoul, however you dress it, as God, Jehovah, as Allah, as the Abrahamic God, as uh the Nirvana of Buddha, uh, the Tao of the Taoists, you know, however you put it, um, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, the unequaled, awesome intelligence and divine order of the entire universe. And that relationship provides wisdom knocking on the door of the Akashic Records it divides protection protection from the Most High and it provides protection from myself from my inner frailties, fragilities temptations poisons 
addictions, and onward. And in those three years, instead of giving over to vice, instead of giving over to uh, self-pity, neglect, hardship, vanities, uh, I have used this not to further get entrenched into the miasma of pop culture, but to liberate myself and hopefully you, the listener, the long-time listener, the follower, the subscriber, maybe even now the first-time listener. Freeing yourself from the bullshit. Cleaning yourself off from it. Washing your hair, scrubbing behind your ears. Putting on new clothes. And finally being able to be free to smell the fresh air that is independent journalism, that is independent media, that is independent everything. Thinking for yourself, freeing yourself from mental slavery. Just like I have and just like we all hopefully soon will be But as free thinkers, we know that our enemies are freedom of thought everywhere. The propagandists, the totalitarians, the thought police, the moralists, etc. We at the Beyond Top Secret Texan are one of the few remaining true cynics left in the true definition of the word. But being able to call bullshit for bullshit and a spade for spade, but seeing out the glorious reality for the glorious reality without having to succumb to any weakness of accepting the amazing potential of the world we live in as fact. As fact. We have taken the limiter off. We have taken the uh, restrictor plate off of our minds. We have gone fully auto in our thinking, in our logical deduction. your armor piercing in our discernment. And what we speak is the high heat. So let's get into it. Today, we are going to be speaking about World War III. I know it's a very serious topic. I'll be trying to streamline it and keep it within an hour. For the discussion we're going to have, it's not World War III at large. I know everyone likes to think of World War III and its inevitable nuclear international holocaust that will occur with Chinese missiles, you know, incinerating Japan and North Korea blowing up South Korea and Russia and America nuking each other like they've been trying to do for the last 100 years. But no one wants to think of World War III in limited practical terms. Just like how World War II was fought in very limited and practical terms. Just like World War I was fought in very limited and practical terms. 
although we know the secrets of both World War I and World War II, if you're a longtime audience member, that neither of which happened at all like they say they did. Also, that this is not World War III, that this is at least World War VII, and that the various world wars uh, in the modern time number as low as seven. They could range even higher, uh, give or take your definition of uh, naval wars counting as wars, uh, or what your definition of the world is. Uh, a lot of people, even I myself, follow a Western Hemisphere-type, um, Atlantic-type uh, supremacist view of it, a relativist view of world history, while not reflecting in the fact that overland Asia are... Um, you know, Indo-Pacific areas account for, like, 70% of the fucking population of the world. And, um... All of the Atlantic, including western and eastern sides of the, uh, the pond, account for only, uh, 30% of the population, no matter how many nation, states, or small kingdoms have flags involved in, um, the Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. That, in reality... Uh, say, for example, the entire nations of, like, um, China have almost the entire population, if not more than the than the entire countries of Western Europe all combined and shit like that. You know, if, if not way more. And then we think that the European uh, theater will be the world, and this, this is qualifying as World War Three. but in reality, uh, thinking in practical terms... It will just be a greater European war. It'll be a Eastern European war at the start of it, and it will not really involve anything in the Pacific or the... Um, it might involve Africa. It might involve Western Africa uh, because of France, but that's a, that's a contextually separate thing, which we won't really talk about. We'll give it its own episode. Um the French and their destruction of the last of their colonies or their neo-colonial efforts of the last 20th century. Uh, this will be the exact replay in French history of the Vietnam occupation they had in Indochina where they were colonists of the Vietnamese uh, people. They colonized Vietnam. They, uh, their brutality, their corruption, their kleptocracy, and their outright racism as well as uh, hedonism when it came to the behave the treatment of their locals caused a massive rift in the population, especially the agrarian conservative populations. And they created national movements, communist movements were supplied by the Russians and weapons and trained in small arm and trained in combat just through Western education. And went back and kicked the fuck out of the French and basically in the Battle of Dien Bien Phu uh, the Seven Hills uh, proved that there was no such thing as uh, European supremacy when it came to uh, bullets and artillery because a uh, South Asian communist rice farmer is just as effective as a rifleman or an artilleryman as a French foreign legionary. You know, there is no such thing as um, intimidation in a communist's heart. Because a communist is fighting for the revolution, for his country, for his freedom, for his children. Whereas the colonial is fighting for the profits of their masters. And so the fury in the distance uh, proved to be in 
impossible to conquer, and so the torch was given to America. And America took over, and that's what caused the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War was also a massive defeat for the American forces, and there was a huge PR defeat, and it basically put an immediate stop to the nuclear age mythology of America as a quote-unquote good guy or heroic figure in uh, the world stage, even though Korea basically had uh, broken everybody's heart in regard to that possibility as early as 1953, when both the United States... uh, Our Air Force was committing a massive genocide by killing, I believe, 20% of the Korean population, but at the same time, the U.S. Army was completely defeated and routed by the Communist Chinese in a land battle, which proved that, once again, it doesn't matter what historical victories you think you have and what PR and propaganda you're pushing, a Westerner, a white man, is no match for um, an Asian man, not in terms of uh, skill, but in terms of numbers in terms of uh, the actual thing that counts in war. Numbers. The Chinese had armies of millions. And the U.S. military, even though it was sending hundreds of thousands of men, knew that it couldn't ever keep up with communist ground forces who were literally sending and importing tens of millions of Chinese soldiers without either using atomic weapons, which MacArthur wanted to do, or in... um, basically, exactly, declaring a massive world war which would obviously go nuclear uh, anyway in Korea and thus constitute, you know, a massive nationwide draft, uh, you know, it's basically, quote unquote, the Korean War never ended and it's still demilitarized zone for those very reasons. It's because America can't admit that it was defeated and kicked out Unless it was, uh, you know, to promote the capitalistic South and shit like that. Which even then took decades and decades and decades of internal uh, politics and building up and shit like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where at first I thought the $250 billion South Korea uh, military force would possibly prove to be a deterrent for the North. And then doing my research, I'm like, I think it would last as long as the Ukrainians in terms of if the North Koreans ever invaded South Korea the North Koreans would absolutely achieve a victory in a matter of fucking days like it would be maybe a few weeks maximum before uh, North Koreans were at Seoul or uh, Pyongyang or like you know uh, Busan sorry Busan and um, you know like the South Koreans would have to flee to Japan. They would have to literally evacuate millions of civilians rather than you know, spending the resources on, on actually fighting and everything. That's, it would be just a defense of these evacuation efforts. It would be fucking uh, an absolute rout for South Korea. I 100% believe that in my heart of hearts right now. Uh, that being said, we're not talking about this as an Asian war, right? We're not talking about this as that. We're talking about this in practical Eastern European scales, but this World War III scenario is 
more accurately described as a Eastern European war scenario, because I doubt America would even get involved if the NATO countries were attacked right now beyond providing drone and satellite support. And it practically, like I said, hypothetically, yes, it's the Western PR, the Western, I keep saying PR, uh, public relations, the Western propaganda, uh, the propaganda of the West, of NATO nations, is fucking ludicrous. If they think that, say, if Poland got invaded by Russia, just straight up Poland got invaded by Russia, that the European nations would actually do anything to stop it beyond sending a, like whatever resources they have in terms of ammunition, yes, of course, tanks, but they're not going to mobilize and deploy troops beyond the special forces that are currently already being deployed, uh, either as mercenaries or as contractors or as NATO you know, advisors to the Ukrainians currently, that they have anything left in the tank, as it were, that these countries are actually keeping their best soldiers you know, in reserves. And if only Russia messed up, if only they violated Article 6, that the, at any point that the whole force of NATO, 300,000 soldiers would, would jump into combat and, oh, they would march all the way to Moscow, I guess, and then fucking burn down Moscow. Like, uh, that, this is the fever dream that they have. Or that the the nuclear ICBMs and massive warheads and, like, Tomahawk missiles, like, you know, reserves and shit, would all be used to destroy the invading tanks and, and you know, men and planes and shit of the Russian military on the uh, Eastern Front without any regard for the long-term picture of now being disarmed, uh, incapable of enforcing political will against Iran or China and the Pacific, like what that would, like the ripple effect, the consequences of that and how it would waterfall into a fucking nightmare for American, it would basically be the death nail in America that we would hit, hammer in ourselves because we are at a stage where we cannot replace scientifically, if you believe the official story, I remember the point of the military conspiracy uh, talks is uh, the episodes here are to be uh, as completely realistic as possible in terms of no, I'm not denying my positions anywhere else when it comes to my belief in UFOs or the extraterrestrial, uh, exopolitics of the world, cryptoterrestrials, high advanced technologies, breakaway civilizations, super sciences, etc. This is just to communicate in terms of like real politic, our current accepted conventional national capabilities, uh, technological capabilities, etc. from a well-versed news and um, like news junkie journo uh, you know lifelong educated person who follows this type of politics from the west in my own refreshing cynical opinion that is completely anti-western propaganda which is lunacy which is absolutely lunacy which is what I'm trying to talk about and the idea here without getting into further and further examples is that you know, because I could keep pointing out examples all day, that they believe 
in the Western Superman, able to deliver knockout punches to the Russian military because it is so large and has these weapons of mass destruction. And they are actively celebrating the fact that because of weapons of mass destruction, Russia would be defeated because we would blow up all their innocent people. We would destroy millions of civilian lives to protect Poland or Lithuania, which is important because this is exactly where, not in the Ukraine, but Lithuania and Poland, that the Greater Eastern European War will begin. And what will shock the world is just how alone they still truly are. This is absolutely in the mindset of the truth and nihilism and the natural order of things and the fake nation state and the nation crafting, which is a black magic, which is a hallucinogen. It is a hallucination that hangs and blinds everybody in this world, and they call it politics. Reality, it's just trade agreements. It's just the ability to, to set prices and to uh, levy taxes on tariffs and things and to get goods and to um, enjoy the theater of diplomacy, which is a complete farce. It is a complete symbolic like uh, madness shared by many in which men wear suits, very fine tailored suits and ties, and they, they dress up in nice shoes and silk socks, and they have attendants and ballets that are getting paid on salaries donated by the uh, tax from the taxpayer to, to make them breakfast, continental breakfast. They drink orange juice out of like crystalline cafe, uh, cafes, and um, they, they go about their day, and they do their cocaine, and they see their prostitutes and their mistresses. And, um, you know, they go and do their talks. They're like TED Talks. But for even stupider people who, you know, believe in Mithraean, like, uh, secret society, like, nonsense. And so they talk about growth and quarters, and they attend their G8 meetings, and they attend their G20 summits, and they attend their UN councils, and they attend their um, EU of, you know, parliaments, and they attend, et cetera, et cetera, these things all year long for years and years and years, and they believe that gives them power. They believe that has mana, and mana can stop reality, the hard truth of reality, the fact that they are doomed. They are doomed in case of violence, and like all things are, they cannot be saved once the damage is done. And once, and like all things, even states, it's just a matter of time until they are devoured by the earth, by Kronos, time, into oblivion. And uh, if you don't believe me, the nations of the UN and the nations of the EU are built from the ashes of former nations that no longer exist. Poland didn't come into existence until... Um, Hold on one second. Let me pull it up real quick. 
Yes, I know historical Poland, etc. Poland, Lithuania, uh, all of that. No, Poland. How the hell do they adopt this into a, a modern country? Oh, one second, guys. Pull up the Wikipedia right now. I know, Wikipedia. In 1918. And then it was immediately conquered. <laughs> and then had to reestablish itself as a democratic state in 1989 from the Soviet incarnation of Poland. So don't give me shit about fucking um, nations don't change and alliances can save countries. Because the one in question right now in terms of it defending itself in this greater Eastern European war that I'm going to explain is Poland. And Poland itself is historically the one being invaded, fucked up, taken over, and re like basically remade in the image of whoever takes it over. And then eventually its society decays and does something stupid because they're Polish and the same shit happens again. Lithuania, too, very recently gained its independence from the Soviet Union. They will soon be reconquered by the Russians because the Russians will just take back the nations that they formerly had territorial integrity with and have cultural influence in because the Western NATO EU influence is not being uh, is not assimilating it, the people are not assimilating to it that's the ruling class philosophy that's the class of the tribe that wears the suits and it wears the ties and it goes to its NATO meetings and it has its mistresses and their fancy dresses and pearl necklaces and they eat caviar and they talk fucking politics and salmon and locks and they do their weird little fucking Baphomet, Moloch worshipping Mithras fucking bowl sacrifice ritual shit and these like weird fancy parties and like don't even get me started because that's all real too but that's the tribe that does it and this tribe believes because they have these laws that are written down in constitutions and in bills of rights, etc., and in articles of, of NATO and alliances and trade things, that that gives them power. They've set up shop in Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Slovenia, all of the Eastern European states. All the way down to the Ukraine, right? And they were going to solidify this wall of Eastern European NATO bloc states whose leadership is operating from Lithuania in Vilnius. They were going to set this whole fucking thing up at the very end by taking over the Ukraine and eventually deposing the leadership of Turkey and a long-term plan that was going to be the answer to the Turkish question. 
because once they deposed and did a coup d'etat in Turkey and replaced them with a pro-EU, pro-NATO, anti-Russian Turkish president to replace Erdogan, that they then could adopt Turkey into the EU and into NATO as well. Fully accepting them into this European confederacy, this block to basically wall off the Russia from the influencing any trade west of it. Well, we see that Russia took the aggressive initiative. Uh, fortune favors the bold. Attacking the Ukraine, destabilizing it, eventually about to destroy it, and proving that the entire NATO war effort was actually a paper tiger because they were amassing hundreds of thousands of soldiers, mid-range missiles um, throughout NATO countries. They were developing artillery, electronic warfare methods. They were having, they were had drone research. They were creating a 21st century military with uh, heavy battle tanks, etc. Openly planning their strategy to attack Russia since 2014, and even before that, since the early night, since the uh, since the 80s, obviously since the Cold War. With all these battle plans simply being the revival, the resurrection of these Cold War military doctrines, which they had for nearly a hundred years, a solid fifty at that, a solid fifty if they were a day. Everything from strategic air command to uh, where the ICBMs are aimed to uh, nuclear submarines, boomers, and their uh, patrol routes, etc. The idea of them being a nuclear Armageddon last resort, you know, uh, basically a nuclear bunker in the deep ocean that has missiles to fire back. All of this shit. They want this again because it's profitable to them to, for the Cold War to exist because the military-industrial complex only exists with a with an enemy with the potential to destroy the world so that allows them to create weapons that can destroy the world, which fulfill the prophecy, the self-fulfilling prophecy that they're trying to create, which is world war scenarios involving weapons of mass destruction and not focusing on practical, practical, many-nation wars that are fought at low to mid-intensities mostly with infantry and armored vehicles with limited air power being used strictly only in fully marketed battle zones but not against civilians in major urban centers to minimize collateral damage with a mind to turn propaganda cyber warfare and other soft uh, silent weapons such as weather manipulation um Banking warfare, economic sanctions, um, everything from from the disruption of the entertainment industries of these nations to the uh, you know uh, implementing of spies, deep infiltration cells into these countries during this chaotic time either posing as refugees or um, being, I guess you call it, uh, hired into government agencies, defense agencies, given their pressure to fill manpower quotas. This is, is, is something that's hard to express, but I know it intuitively. 
So I'm trying my best to make it in a common language for you fucking, like, goyim out there. But at the same time, you sheeple need to understand that this is what Russia does. And this is how the Soviet Union was created with the Bolsheviks, is you create small bullshit wars. And then when countries start reflexively growing their militaries and government sectors to try to counter shit, they need to hire people. And what's the easiest way for a Russian spy to join a government? Say you hate Russia. And say you know Russian. (laughs) Hey, hey, my family were Cossacks. Uh, We hate Stalin. Stalin uh, tried to kill my family. Oh, so yeah, I'll go. I'll be a spy for you guys. I speak fluent Russian. I'm from this weird little village in the the fucking Siberia. I have a perfect cover story. And at the same time, you're feeding information back to Stalin. You're feeding information of how the government's working back to Russia. There were many such cases of this. The Soviet Union and any any conservative, like, logical, sober uh, understanding of how the spy war broke, uh, played out in the Cold War uh, will declare that the Soviet Union won. The Soviet Union had better spies. They were in more countries. They were deeper infiltrated. Uh, everything from French, uh, the, the communists were in the French government, the communists were in the British government, the communists were in the um, American government. The American government was so infiltrated by spies from both its allies and its enemies that even the Scientologists had 5,000 uh, deeply embedded spies in agencies such as the FBI and, uh, you know, the DEA and, like, other uh, and federal courthouses and stuff like that around the country. 5,000 spies that were, that were loyal to the Church of Scientology a non-state entity that was simply operating uh, to try to curb the uh, legal issues and attacks against them by concerned citizens that were trying to fight their uh, goals of becoming a legitimate religion uh, in the 20th century rather than being deemed a dangerous cult. So what do you think is happening now? What do you think is happening now with cyber war? What do you think is happening now across the world with cyber war? Do you not think that the Russians for the last, uh, since the Cold War, have been using computer programs, viruses, websites, etc. to gather information on Western operating systems and simply just buying Western computers and and having their uh, employees, their scientists, their engineers who work as spies within the government simply gaining jobs in Google? Uh, People are really, really dumb and historically don't understand that, for example, Russians were allies in the 1990s and many computer engineers, electronic engineers of various kinds, calibers, came over to the West and that even in the Cold War and Soviet Union, we were frequently recruiting uh, educated like members of engineering firms, etc., to come live full-time in America as, you know, our double agents, etc. So the idea that our that we have any technological secrets that Russia doesn't know about is fucking retarded. It's just the stupidest fucking thing in the world. Uh, everything we've done in the last 100 years, Russia has completely known ahead of time, including building the atomic bomb. Including building the atomic bomb. 
Manhattan Project. They knew fucking everything about the Manhattan Project. They knew what it was. They knew how many buildings they were. They knew where people's offices were. Do not believe the Oppenheimer propaganda. The Russians uh, were basically like like it's <laughs> the Russians. Um, you know they 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 had our number. Let's just say that. And they have our number in Eastern Europe, too. They know where all the bases are of operations. They know where all the stockpiles of weapons are. They know where all the political offices are. They know where all the uh, players are in the game. They have spies infiltrating Lithuania. They have spies infiltrating Poland. They have spies infiltrating Estonia, Slovenia. Uh, They've had them for decades. They've had them since the Soviet Union fell, activating these sleeper cells that still work for the the FSB, formerly the KGB. You know, and they have technologies that the Lithuanian Poland do not have, such as satellites, various electronic weaponry, uh, you know, spy equipment of the 21st century that people don't factor in. They think wars are fought with bullets and wars are fought with bombs. Oh, boom, 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 bang, bang, bang. Wars are fought with espionage. Wars are fought with spies. Oars are fought with men in vans with headphones on that are listening to conversations, hearing people fuck, cheat on their wives, uh, go on grinder, uh, that gay sex act or whatever you thought you got away with, uh, was secretly filmed, and now they have a blackmailed politician in Lithuania's parliament, right? And they have this agent by the balls. They have him by balls. Right, they have him pedophile by balls, and they uh, are going to extract as much political pressure as they can on him, as well as getting him to hire even more spies that go into further infiltrate networks and communications. And they use the, they use the stress of capitalism and the vices of capitalism to do it. Just like the motto says, in the world revolution, communist revolution, the capitalists will sell the Russians or sell the communists the bullets to shoot them. Right? They'll sell the bullets that shoot them, basically. And that's exactly what's happening in a practical sense. Like I said, I try to streamline this enough um, where I don't want to talk about tank strain. Oh, the Russians have so much tanks. In the, we know the Russians have unlimited supply. They have infinite amount of fucking weapons, vehicles of all kinds of varieties, the great many arms of Shiva the destroyer each holding the the killer of men everything from fucking sharp pointy sticks to fucking submarines that can destroy the world with deep sea atomic weapons that penetrate the fucking core of the earth and shatter tectonic plates and shit like that uh, causing global tsunamis we know Russia has all that we know Lithuania doesn't fucking have that. We know Poland doesn't fucking have that. We know Estonia doesn't have There's no weapons of mass destruction Lithuania is fucking sitting on. But we know it's a possibility that they can create anything they also need or buy anything that they need. But realistically, they can't do it fast enough and they can't do it uh, without the public attention coming to it. And they don't have the money. They realistically don't have the money. They could make... VX gas. They could get that from England, for example. They could get that from America. But would they use it? Would they use nerve gas against Russian troops? Would they use nerve gas against Russian citizens? Would they use an atomic missile or a weapon to destroy a, uh, you know, to destroy cities inside Russia? Would they, would they, Lithuanians uh, resort to assassinations 
like the Ukrainians have, or terrorist acts like suicide bombing, which the Ukrainians have, to do nothing but de destroy a, de to destroy a bridge, quote-unquote destroy a bridge, damage a bridge that was repaired within a matter of days. Would the Polish do it? The Polish would. I believe the Polish would, because the Polish are shit. The Polish are subhuman pieces of shit. I will say that out loud. I don't give a fuck. Fuck Poland. <laughs> Not the people of Poland. The women of Poland are cool. Uh, always. But the Polish soldiers are brain-dead idiots. And you don't have to respect Poland. They don't deserve it. It's fine. <laughs> they don't deserve it. These people are about to get a fucking rude awakening. And they are uh, already getting a rude awakening in the Ukraine. And the truth is, a lot of Polish soldiers have already died in the Ukraine. Like I said, I don't think that this is going to end in a massive worldwide nuclear war. Because I think what will happen is the Polish and the Lithuanians, if it ever does go hot, which they're espionaged, they're infiltrated uh, governments, etc., are proving that it won't because everything they do seems to be checkmated by this system of active warfare espionage, you know, communications, uh, you know, a, uh, decoding, uh, interception of, of intelligence, uh, manipulation of politics, manipulation of econ uh, economics, the manipulation of... Uh, political reputation, etc. It seems to be dominated by Russia currently. All of that's dominated by Russia. This is the active Eastern European war first days. It's currently going on. It's not a hypothetical. This isn't a war of the future. This is a war right now. Now, hypothetically, it could. it's going to go hot. It's, I mean, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But it will go hot or Poland, uh, either through its mercenaries um, of its own or through Wagner's mercenaries in Russia and Belarus, uh, begin skirmishing on the border, begin uh, escalating those skirmishes. Like I said, they won't go past tanks. It won't go past limited air power, such as helicopters. The insertion of hel men inside helicopters as troops, special forces, uh, you know, airstrikes against armored vehicles, etc. But... Will it go into the cities? I do not think in the 21st century that's necessity because I believe that the espionage front, just like the CIA has been doing in the Middle East, will begin a series of color revolutions within Eastern Europe. And these countries will basically become torn and a severely crippled by massive nationalist movements that don't want war with Russia that have roots in the, the former Soviet Union citizens the people with experience from former Soviet Union states such as Poland, Lithuania and uh, specifically in Poland and Lithuania let's just keep all this in the Poland and Lithuania but also in the Ukraine also in the Ukraine, these revolutions will take place. Um, they will they will compare the modern living conditions of the 21st century to the Holodomor 
but say that the uh, NATO nations are doing it to them. The New Holland Amar is caused by NATO, and they're sacrificing Eastern Europe and taking their resources, using their men to die in wars, and giving nothing back as they starve, as they go cold, as they experience hardship like famine, and, uh, recession as their economies start tanking, uh, given like first Germany and then France, and then uh, the European nations of the EU will fall like dominoes, one after another. They'll fall for bankruptcy. The UK will fall for bankruptcy. All the nations in Europe that are supporting Ukraine, EU or not, will file for bankruptcy. This has dragged them into bankruptcy. The citizens are pissed. Citizens are disgruntled. Citizens have no confidence in the government. Citizens are getting far more educated. Citizens are getting far more radicalized. And what do the citizens in Europe always tend to resort to? Bolshevism, communism, Russian cultural um, influence. They are, they are steered by the Russian agents, by the Russian provocateurs, by the Russian intellectuals, by the Russian thinkers. And ultimately, those people of various Russian, um, you know, um, espionage, Russian intelligence, loyalties. Am I saying the Soviet Union is going to return? No. But these nations may democratically oust their pro-NATO EU countries or EU leadership in these countries dissolving the EU dissolving NATO and NATO may not exist by 2030 as a result of this Eastern European bloc war the EU may not exist after this effective World War III, low-scale World War III, that does not come to a nuclear war, that does not come to a massive holocaust of atomic winter, or nuclear winter. It is uh, not going to destroy the West, the nation of America and its cities, and cause millions to die worldwide. It won't involve a Pacific front. But it will be World War III because it will involve most nations of the Atlantic and Western world, including the UK, including all the EU nations, such as Germany and France, including even the United States, Canada. But it would also include all the BRICS nations. And it would be a type of war that's been seen many times before. A war that changes the world, redraws state maps, a country's borders, redefines the identities of the people that were involved, especially the losers of such wars. By the same time, the sun still rises. Tomorrow still arrives. The world still spins. Future marches on. The survivors rebuild, 
children are born, people get married, the news still gets told every day. Inevitably going to World War 4, World War 5, World War 6, etc. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the historical projections of this 21st century are exactly like the historical projections of the 20th century and the 18th century, and the 19th century, and the 18th century, and the 17th century, and the 16th century, where these nations get into endless states of feudal wars, where their leadership forces their peasants into hardships until the peasants do not bear those hardships any longer. Massive amounts of troops from a unified Russian nation-state, a ethos, a ethno-state, a civilization at this point more than a nation, the Russians, constantly being the enemy, the boogeyman. And at the same time, the Eastern Europeans failing to address the factors that refuse peace in their own borders and their own nations and pretending themselves to be superior given their diplomacy and their extravagant court culture. Vilnius is a major political power in the Eastern European world, as well as the world of the EU and the world of NATO. But it is a little dog. It is a little dog with a little bark. And it's going to use Poland as the muscle, as the bodyguard of low, poorly educated bohunks that are mostly racist idiots. Lumber of the land to supply a filled, a ground army. And it's going to try to use its political strength and pressure to recruit the high technology and warheads it needs to make a difference against a nuclear power such as Russia. And it will quickly find out that the West will not destroy the world for a nation as small as Lithuania or as dumb and worthless as Poland. But Russia will invade to secure its borders from NATO. It will hit from a many-sided attack, mostly internal and mostly without violence. Cyber attacks, the color revolutions, the nationalists, the saboteurs, the democratic political movements carefully engineered by Russian AI will be unstoppable before 2030. And the speed and succession in which they hit throughout this decade will be so carefully timed and orchestrated as to be almost imperceptible by anyone but the most skilled and discernible espionage specialists. This Eastern European World War III will be a masterwork in modern warfare. And it will be a Russian victory.
thank you all very much for tuning into that segment, for listening to that. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. I try to streamline it. I try to keep it within the borders of Poland and Lithuania. Germany, as we know, economically broke. The Bundeswehr is uh, pathetic. The Bundeswehr is absolutely pathetic. And since the destruction of the Leopard 2 on the battlefield of the Ukraine, uh, I believe it will be extremely hesitant to actually field or engage a force inside Poland to answer that question. What about Germany? And I believe that the troops it has will just be annihilated by the Russians if they do encounter them. I believe NATO tactics are insufficient to counter the the proven Russian success on the battlefield. It is not the inferiority of manpower or at this point it's not the inferiority of technology, it's the inferiority of manpower which you cannot fight a war with fewer people and expect to win, especially as the attacker. And brutal reality that no matter how high-tech a targeting uh, technology is uh, inside a battle tank, for example, that a landmine is going to blow it the fuck up just as it's going to blow up a truck or a person who steps on it. A landmine has no moving, has no computers, no electronic parts in it. It's just a fucking bomb. You roll on it, it blows up. A four million Reichsmark tank, a Leopard Two, gets blown the fuck up just like a Jeep, just like a uh, Honda Civic, just like a person, just like anything, because it rolled over an explosive. Because that's reality. Just barbaric, brutal. Force on force. It doesn't matter if you have uh, Western American made Kevlar armor and a UK carbon fiber helmet. If you get shot in the fucking throat, you're going to die. If you've been trained by NATO for the last three years in special operations, Suki B, close quarter combat, building, clearing, urban warfare, and uh, you have on a night vision goggles and a, a great rifle and new boots and shit, and you just ate and took a shit, you're fine, you drink some uh, G Fuel energy drink or whatever, and you're going to go kill some Russians, and then you get hit by a fucking mortar, a 150-millimeter shell, fired from a howitzer or a Stalingrad-type rocket, you're fucking dead. You're dead. You're, you're dead without even having uh, fired a shot or spent a minute on the battlefield. And that is the reality of fighting a war with Russia, is that these become meat grinders because they know the West has no heart or ability to survive meat grinders. And the Russians can control the battlefield because the Westerners think wars need to happen and be finished within a matter of days because they can't afford to fight for years. And the Russians know that within 10 years of combat and fighting that they can sustain, the NATO nations will be absolutely bankrupt and empty of fighting-age men. And the Russians haven't even hit their reserves yet.
And I think a big part of what people don't realize is that when they speak about World War II in terms of referencing this, because that's an accurate reference, right? If you're like, hey, World War II was fought and it involved the atomic bomb and aircraft carriers and two fronts and theaters, etc. Keep in mind this, the 90-10 rule, 90% of combat German lives lost were on the Russian front in Europe. 90% of the combat in the European theater was on the Russian Eastern Front, and it was between the Germans and their allies and the Soviet Union. Or the battles and little wars that led up to before, like the Winter War, the invasion of Poland, the Blitzkrieg into Czechoslovakia and the uh, Balkans, as well as the events of the Ukraine, uh, Holocaust, etc., that, that shit was going down 90% of the time versus the 10% of the Battle of the Bulge, D-Day, Normandy, Blitz, uh, the Battle of the Blitz in England, uh, the Battle of Britain, uh, the Battle of Malta, North Africa, um, you know, Vichy, France, uh, Spanish Civil War, all that shit. So all of, the, all of the shit I just named was 10% of the World War II, with most of it being in Russia. And the way to understand that, 9 out of 10 Nazis were killed by Russian bullets. 25 million Russians died in that fucking war. But did the Russians nuke Germany? No. You know who did most of the air bombing? The Western Allies. Britain. USA. They're the countries that bombed Germany into rubble. They're the ones who destroyed Dresden and most of their cities. They're the ones who destroyed most of Japan. Tokyo. The Russians fought their wars on a battlefield. And they defended their cities from being destroyed by a Western nation, that of Germany. The Russians don't have a tactic of destroying cities. They have a, they have a tactic of conquering countries. Only the fucking NATO idiots who still were Nazis, who still are Nazis, they're just the, the evolution of what the Nazis were, think that you're going to win a war by destroying a city and creating rubble from its capital and killing all the people in it. And it has never worked. It has never, ever worked in any of their scenarios. They can pretend that Germany was a success story, but the Germans were starving and the only Germans that were actually able to survive after the zone and the created zones after World War II were the ones on the Russian side. That's why there were two Berlins. People don't understand history. It's because the Germans didn't destroy, the Russians didn't destroy their half of Germany. They call it the Rape of Berlin, but that's completely anti-Soviet propaganda. Because the Russians don't, the Russians don't, you know, tit for tat and call it the Rape of Russia when the Germans invaded. But the Russians did invade, 
and the Americans did not nuke Russia to get them away. And you can say allies this, allies that, but you know, Patton wanted to fight Russia. The reason why they didn't is because they realized Russia was far too strong of a country, even with atomic weapons to defeat. And that the Russians would have just rolled into Europe and conquered all of the war-ravaged Western countries within weeks, regardless of atomic weapons or not. Because their strategies are in destroying armies and taking over governments, not destroying cities. Thus, they get the will of the people who really don't give a fuck who's ruling them as long as they're being ruled well and they're prospering. They don't, the, the people really don't mind living in communism. I think a lot of rep- uh, interviews and stuff like that exist even today where old Soviet Union people believe that their system was more prosperous because it was. There was safety, safer streets, more security, more jobs, better education. Everything was basically much more well-managed. And that was considered an evil by the corrupt capitalist systems who would rather charge you all of the wealth that you have on this world simply to pay rent to live somewhere rather than provide you with anything and then the country takes taxes on top of that from you without giving anything back rather spending it on its military leaving you the citizen to thank it for the ability to live quote unquote free while also having to defend yourself from other citizens because of the for-profit police force that exists in your community. Now, this is the model in Europe already, right? And you can say they have socialism there and everything, but it's being highly corrupted by privatization, say, for example, in France and in um, Germany, away from the old socialist systems, which they inherited from the Soviet Union and their influence, by the way. So all the nationalists, uh, the socialism, the democratic socialism in, say, the Netherlands, Amsterdam, uh, Sweden, uh, all that good shit that they love, like, oh, we get all these benefits and society is paid for and we're all like a happy socialist democratic society, heavily influenced by the Soviet Union, heavily influenced by their model of society. The only good things about Europe were based on Russian models of governance. The civilian population will turn on the leadership of NATO. They will turn on the leadership of the EU. When they are hungry and cold enough, that shit's not going to fucking fly anymore. And they will have massive protests in the, the, the parliament of Germany. There will be massive par- protests in the, near the parliament of Lithuania and Poland. And there will be as many police on the streets of Warsaw as there are Polish soldiers on the border of Belarus. And it won't be refugees they're fighting, because that'll be a factor too. Well, Belarus will open up the floodgates and just send migrants by the tens of thousands and maybe even close to millions into uh, the hundreds of thousands and millions into Poland. They've done it before. And as soon as distractions are made, as soon as attentions get and forces get spread thin, this hybrid warfare will be the Eastern European Warfare 2.0. And it will reach all the way back to, like I said, Germany. It will reach all the way back to the EU, where it calls for their, uh, the, the organization's uh, dismemberment. It will be uh, people protesting, say, the Davos group that meets in Davos, Switzerland, uh, the G8, in pro-Russian 
Russian organized, Russian educated, Russian funded separatist movements, radical movements, uh, protest movements, um, you know, political causes, etc. You'll see a rise in that shit, and you'll see it in the next ten, in the next couple of years, and by the next ten years, there will no longer be the governments in power in these nations that have supported the war in the Ukraine, that have supported this NATO Eastern Bloc wall, uh, the governments of Vilnius, the governments of Warsaw, you'll, you'll no longer see these people in power. They will, the governments will completely be taken over by socialists. 100%. Pro-Russians. Russian legacists. Uh, people who wish to join the BRICS nations. Openly. Openly, I know that's heresy to think about because people are so short-sighted that they think that the loyalties of a country that's less than 100 years old in, in its current incarnation are unshakable and, and written in stone. And it'll just be a new changing of hats. It'll be a new spinning of the wheel of power. But as many things change, they stay the same. And it'll just be a return of these nations into their Soviet Union Russian bloc uh, political alliances or energetically they belong and it'll just be a new iron curtain but to kind of play devil's advocate and I know a lot of people probably who are NATO have already turned off the, the NATO fellows and things like that. I've already turned off this broadcast and uh, and in shock and started seething and, and inhaling as much Russian lost copium as they can. But uh, I will play devil's advocate on this episode and I will play a little bit of uh, this video from Infogra... Uh, was it? Hold on a second. Let me look it up. This is right here. It's World War. Th it's what the world will look like after World War Three, and I, I saw this. What countries will look like after World War Three? And this is by the Infographic Show, and this is uh, hilariously animated in the corporate art style that everyone hates. And so I know it's glowy as fuck. I know it's all studio, probably from the Atlantic Council think tanks, etc that use this to teach children or people of uh, impressionable YouTube-type intellects their propaganda and to make them feel intelligent. Nerd kids, uh, college kids, you know, the types that are like, oh, I'm smart because I watched this YouTube video and this YouTube video told me that the West was going to win and Russia was going to lose. Everything's good in the hood. Go EU, go NATO, go America. Let's look nothing into the reality of the situation. Let's not judge for ourselves who's good and evil. Let's accept the, uh, the Mouseketeer message of the American military-industrial complex because it is mother's milk to the American uh, midwit, basically, right? The, medioc the mediocre pseudo-intellectual. And yes, I know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. But this one dared to make itself, uh, you know, known by the algorithm. So, and there are many like it. There's actually a huge series that were produced in the last year of this infographic show that speaks about World War III. 
directly just, and I mean, if you're going to talk about War Three in a pro-NATO, pro-EU, pro-Ukraine, Russia defeated Vladimir Putin's Putler type message, you're fair game. You're part of the system. You're part of the enemy. You're just another element of the propaganda war. And we're going to break it down, at least in the audio. I will play it just as devil's advocate because this is what exactly I'm, I did this episode in response against that the uh, realities of the low proximity war of the European Union of Kaliningrad being a hotspot where Lithuanian and Polish forces are uh, held in a stalemate between a hot war while internally their countries are infiltrated and destroyed by espionage and eventually returned to a pro-Russian sympathetic stance while a limited hot war is played out uh, between conventional forces that does not draw in a nuclear weapons of mass destruction level response, but rather the changing of power, you know, rather diplomatically upon seeing the military, you know, in the military stalemate slash unnecessary destruction at the hands of the Russians caused by democratic standards, right? Grassroots uh, political organizations. Uh, Bolshevism, as you were, right? In the common parlance of the term. Uh, in our modern parlance, Bolshevism uh, returning to power in the Eastern European bloc. Devil's advocate? It causes a nuclear war and a bunch of crazy global shit, and Russia doesn't apparently exist. Russia's cut in half, and apparently China becomes good. So, yeah, we'll listen to this audio. It's fucking cringe, and it's hilarious, and I'm going to make fun of it as we play it, so I'll be pausing it and laughing my ass off during it. Same. The southern United States now belongs to Mexico. Europe is the newest administrative province of Russia. Japan, Taiwan, and Australia are all governed by Beijing. Regardless of how World War III starts, it will rewrite the borders of the map, and not always in the ways you might think. We're going to examine a few hypothetical scenarios for World War III and how each would result... World War III is over. The planet will never be the same. The southern United States now belongs to Mexico. Europe is the newest administrative province of Russia. Japan, Taiwan, and Australia are all governed by Beijing. Regardless of how World War III starts, it will rewrite the borders of the map, and not always in the ways you might think. We're going to examine a few hypothetical scenarios for World War III and how each would result in the shifting borders across the world. There are some key factors that must be clarified before we get started. One, we can't possibly cover every scenario in this video, but we'll examine some very intriguing outcomes based on statistical data of the most likely scenarios. Two, we'll assume nuclear weapons are used in moderation, and the war doesn't escalate into a full-blown apocalyptic event. And three, we're basing our extrapolations for the future on the information we have now and how certain nations and regimes have acted in the past. The only way that a third world war could erupt in the present day is if Russia and China combined forces and went to war against NATO. The reason for this is that neither Russia nor China is strong enough to defeat the United States and its allies alone. The reality is even if they work together, China and Russia would likely still struggle to win an all-out war with the West. That being said, there are several scenarios where a Sino-Russian alliance could come out on top due to the massive natural resources at their disposal, the enormous like size to admit. of both militaries, and China's economic stranglehold on many parts of the world. We know that the United States has the most powerful military in the world by far. We also know we that know, we know Big Daddy USA has the, the Jewish space lasers. And China. However, let's examine what would happen in several different scenarios and how they could possibly result in the shifting of borders in ways we might not expect. 
the two sides in World War III will be NATO and the Western nations on one side, including their strategic partners and alliances around the world. This would mean that Australia, Japan, South Korea, the Philippines, and parts of Latin America would also likely join on this side of the battle. The opposition would be led by China and Russia, which would also include many nations with authoritarian rulers and close ties to Moscow and Beijing. That means North Korea, Belarus, Syria, Iran, and a number of former Soviet bloc states that ally themselves with Russia and China. There's also the possibility that many Latin American and African countries will also throw their lot in with China in particular, the reason for which we'll discuss later on in this video. NATO is made up of 31 countries, most of which are in Europe, except for the United States and Canada. Similar to NATO, but by no means as powerful, is the Collective Security Treaty Organization, which is an alliance between Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Russia, and Tajikistan. The CSTO has a comparable stipulation as Article 5 of the NATO Agreement, numbered Article 4, which basically states an attack against one member would be seen as an attack against all members of the alliance. So if any of the six nations in CSTO is invaded or forced into an all-out war, all other nations will declare war on the aggressor. Now let's look at some World War III scenarios and see how allegiances shift and borders would change as a result. The first few might be shocking, as there will be some backstabbing between the supposed allies. But as we continue with our analysis, a much more hopeful picture of the world will start to emerge. Unless you're rooting for the authoritarians to win, then you will be sorely disappointed. Scenario 1. Russia's war. I like to point that out as the first piece of complete bullshit. Uh, there is many pieces of bullshit in that one, but it's just basically stuck to the facts. But that one, that all the other nations of eco of uh, the the uh, Escot and the Russians and the Chinese, uh, anyone of the South Americans, anyone who doesn't side with NATO is a authoritarian and undemocratic and evil. And that all these scenarios, which are the ones that are going to be talked about, uh, all play out with the authoritarians losing. Because it's inevitable, just like how the Axis lost in World War II, that these authoritarians will be defeated by democracy and the West and neoliberalism and, and all this, right? Well, remember, we're smarter than the average bear, and we know that democracy is just another word for uh, oligarchy. Plutocracy, uh, kleptocracy, uh, democracy is a trap. It's a it's a mental uh, trick to think that you are egalitarian and morally upstanding, but at the same time, um, absolutely retarded because you've given away any power you have based on a population, and everything is just a popularity contest at that point, right? On a fundamental nature, everything's just a popularity contest. It has no reference between right and wrong. A true democracy is absolute chaos, but it's monolithic once natural populations um, destroy the, their competition. It'll just be one single thing that was the most popular, and that thing will just be popular until natural cycles uh, dictate, and then it will just be an inescapable wheel of a dictatorship of the majority. Now, they believe the authoritarians uh, are a dictatorship of the minority, with the majority of the population being innocent and wishing for freedom, but being enslaved by people like Vladimir Putin, or Xi Jinping, 
etc. And that's what makes their political models unified and alliance. Like, the only reason they're allies is because they're all dictators. Like, Kim Jong-un is, like, calling up Vladimir Putin and being like, yo, dog, I love being a dictator of North Korea. And Russia's like, yeah, I love being a dictator of Russia. And it's not. Russia's a democracy. It's a republic, actually, just like the United States is. Uh, you know, and, and we we can get into the other... Uh, the CCP, for example, and the complex structure of the Communist Party, etc., and, and then in China. These are not single monolithic dictatorships. These are massively complex political systems that just rival the Western representative elitist, by the way, super elite and undemocratic as fuck corrupt system of a federally uh, elected Republican government. And due to its alliances and deep state functions, many of the so-called leadership in America is not actually voted for, but appointed by those voted for, like the Supreme Court justices, and the many heads of organizations like the chiefs of staff of the military and the federal agencies such as the FBI, the CIA, DEA, EPA, any of the uh, alphabet soup agencies, FEMA, etc., that really control the United States government beyond the uh, legislative or executive branches, such as the judicial branch, are completely unelected officials that only exist in these positions of authority based on their, um, their approval by other unelected officials, themselves making up breakaway cultures inside a federal culture in the most undemocratic way possible, either based on wealth or uh, education uh, in, in, in prestigious universities, etc. And it's not because these people had nothing and they made themselves who they are and they real recognize as real. It's because like people are calling now in America for the the this, the disintegration and the removal of the Supreme Court because they are aware of how undemocratic and how prejudiced of a situ- of an institution this thing truly is and has been but only since it declared uh, their neoliberal law of abortion in Roe versus Wade unconstitutionally and it can't be federally protected so a lot of states can make it illegal which is Offering what a democratic solution to a situation that was controlled by the federal government by unelected leaders in a nation of America and saying that America is democratic. Just imagine, like the EU, for example, there's not a single elected leader of the EU committee. There's not one. These are appointed, and no one can question or uh, counter the authority of the EU and the officials that appoint these people to their positions of power within the EU after them. And then once they cycle out, they assume authority based on seniority and appoint their own staff to higher positions of power. This is how the EU is run. The EU is the definition of an undemocratic Republican parliament system. And many nations of the EU have active monarchies. Monarchies. That's right. Literal kings and fucking queens like that's completely normal to have in the 21st century. Now we'll play out this Western propaganda uh, bullshit fest 
as every situation will soon play out where Russia is losing, but every situation ultimately involves the USA having to save everybody. Now imagine what their surprise and heartbreak will be when the USA actually refuses to, refuses to get involved, deploy troops or weapons any longer for the sake of Eastern Europe. And let alone these, these hypothetical situations that always involve the Pacific Front because they always have to connect the Pacific Front to all this effort because our main aggression and buildup and our forces have been historically since World War II the Pacific Front. Remember that 9 out of 10 rule I just said? 9 out of 10 Germans were killed in Russia. 25 million Russians, 9 out of 10 of people were killed in Russia uh, regardless of who they were. Because America was fighting Japan. America only became active in World War II because of Japan. Because of Pearl Harbor. Because of being attacked by Japan specifically. We didn't declare war on Germany. Germany declared war on the USA. We were never going to fight in Europe, historically. FDR was happy fighting just in the Pacific Theater, just against the Japanese without including the entirety of the Axis as enemies, thus really calling into question what you define as America's willingness to participate in a world war, when ultimately we are just hoping to participate in a war with China. And all of this is orchestrated to some greater extent to try to free up America's responsibilities in protecting the NATO nations from Russia in a Russian theater, and getting sucked into that 90% of the world's conflict in the upcoming European wars that we will know as World War III for this episode. When you're actual, it's like World War VII um, of the European wars. Then get involved. Uh, then they hope they never get involved with that. And they hope they get involved with a war against China. Which, although it seems as equally suicidal, they know can ritualistically be a huge building point for their economy in the USA if they can bring China into, into um, submission militarily by using weapons of mass destruction against their civilian population. They know if they start killing hundreds of millions of Chinese people, the Chinese will submit to the USA, and the 21st century will see China become basically the proxy for Japan, where America helps rebuild their economy and uses them as a vassal state for exotic oriental culture that helps enrich the American empire. That going forward, let's hear all these hilariously absurd scenarios that are extremely anti-Russian, pro-Western, to an almost retarded degree. This worst nightmare. The war in Ukraine has been raging for more than a year. Putin feels the impending doom on the horizon. He takes drastic actions by launching a tactical nuke at a Ukrainian base. The low-yield nuke detonates, vaporizing the base, soldiers, and vehicles in the vicinity. But since the nuclear device is only 25 kilotons, the blast radius is around 0.4 miles, or 0.64 kilometers. The damage is not widespread, but it's the very nature of the weapon that elicits a response from NATO. 
They declare war on Russia and launch aircraft, conventional missiles, and soldiers at key targets across the border. NATO refrains from using nukes as they don't want to escalate things further, but Putin must be dealt with. In response to NATO's invasion, Article 4 of the Collective Security Treaty Organization is initiated. Russia has just over a million soldiers between their active members, including those in reserve. However, since the war began, Russia has suffered close to 200,000 casualties, so things are already looking bad for Putin. He calls on his closest allies and other authoritarian rulers to aid Russia in the fight against NATO. As once Russia is defeated, the West will spread its influence even further into the Middle East and Asia. But this is a hard sell. The fighting is contained in Eastern Europe and Russia. Many leaders don't want to paint a target on their backs, so they stay out of the conflict. Other than the CSTO countries, Iran decides to fight along Russia, as its government's deep distrust for the West fuels its decision to escalate the conflict. Syria also joins Russia due to the fact that President Bashar al-Assad is afraid that if Putin loses, he'll lose his main source of weapons to control his own country. But even with aid from these nations, there is one country whose absence cannot be ignored, China. When Russia launched a nuke, even though it was a tactical one, Beijing turned its back on Putin. China has made it very clear what its stance is around using nuclear weapons. Beijing firmly believes that nukes should only ever be used in the defense of one's country and never as an offensive weapon. Therefore, the nuclear bomb that Putin dropped on Ukraine sealed his fate. China refuses to come to Russia's aid. Now, instead of receiving an influx <laughs> like they, of weapons and men, China obsessed. has cut off most support to Moscow. They still buy natural resources what from does Russia, fantasy but refuse to extremely unpopular. Aid. In this scenario, NATO forces quickly storm through western Russia and capture Moscow. After a year of fighting in Ukraine and the worsening conditions in the country due to heavy sanctions, the general Russian population doesn't put up much of a fight to keep Putin in power. For many, their leader has failed. The superior tanks, aircraft, and technology of NATO forces allow them to deal with any defense Russia mounts. Vladimir Putin is found dead in the Kremlin with a bullet in his head from what appears to be an assassination carried out by someone in his own government. NATO would also attack any country that allied itself with Russia during the conflict. After the war, they'd have their governments dismantled and reorganized. So, if World War III ended up being Russia fighting against NATO without the help of China, there's no chance they could win a conventional war. Even with allies in this area, too, many other countries would remain neutral if China did not back Russia. This includes North Korea, who more than likely would aid Russia, but only if China gave them permission. Given the scenario we just outlined, if Beijing refuses to support Russia, it will likely find North Korea will do the same. After the war is over, Russia would be broken up and new governments would be put into place. There's even a possibility that China would invade Russia from the east if Beijing thought there was a chance Putin would launch more nukes and put the world at risk of being obliterated in a nuclear holocaust. In this case, China might lay claim to some of the eastern and northern lands of Russia as there are huge amounts of natural resources such as fossil fuels and ore in some of these regions. Let's imagine, after Russia is defeated and forced to surrender, that the country is deemed too large to control by one government and that the stability of the region might be better maintained by splitting Russia up into eight different countries based on the borders of its federal districts. Now, instead of one giant country, there are eight smaller ones to manage. Maps of Asia would need to be rewritten with these new borders, and each territory would be given its own name. It's plausible in this scenario that the Far Eastern and Siberian districts would come under the influence of China. Beijing would set up puppet governments in those new countries that serve their interests by giving them exclusive trade deals and the rights to acquire the natural resources in the region. These nations would also serve as a buffer between China and the now pro-West nations of Western Russia. The new nations to emerge from Russia's Western districts would be led by democratically elected governments. 
These would obviously be overseen by NATO and would have close ties to Europe and the United States. The borders of Armenia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan would also likely remain the same, but with new governments. The Kaliningrad Oblast, which is currently a part of Russia, would likely be incorporated into Lithuania's borders rather than becoming its own country. There's also the chance that in the chaos, other players in the Middle East might take advantage of the weakened state of anyone who aided Russia. Perhaps Israel would launch an invasion of Syria to eliminate one of the threats surrounding it, secure more resources, and effectively expand its territory almost tenfold. China might take control of Kazakhstan and the Kyrgyzstan governments and install regimes that would ally themselves with Beijing. If Russia launched nukes and started World War III, <laughs> what without did China, China become the ally of the NATO nations in this scenario? Several smaller countries that the West and China could more easily. <laughs> but yeah, they're openly the calling for that. What I just said about the Eastern Europe block war. Power. But the borders would likely remain uh, the same. As a scenario, now they're going to hope as a victory scenario. situation for the East. Or, yeah, for the, uh, for the West need to choose a side. against the East. Scenario, that is the destruction of a nation and a recreation of its states and government by redrawing its borders. And uses its power and influence to pull others into the conflict. World War III is about to break out. The rulers of Russia and China are trying to preserve their very way of life. The West has been encroaching closer and closer, spreading its ideologies and influence. Beijing has had enough and conducts a secret meeting with the leadership of Moscow. It's decided that if their authoritarian way of doing things is to continue, they need to deal with the United States and its allies. In order to do this, China pulls some strings. Both Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping reach out to other authoritarian rulers around the world and warn that if they don't support Russia and China in the coming conflict, the West will come for them next. This allows Russia and China to convince many of the single-party governments and authoritarian rulers across the planet to join their side in World War III, even if they have ties to the West. Many governments in East Asia, Central Africa, and the Middle East ally themselves with China and Russia to ensure they can maintain their power after the war. China also uses its economic might to bend nations to do their will who don't initially join their side or cause. Much of Latin America is deeply indebted to China. And although the United States still has a major presence in the Americas, Mexico, Venezuela, and Brazil are forced to support China or suffer economic collapse. Beijing leverages its Belt and Road Initiative to bring other Latin American countries to its side as well. When all said and done, the desire for authoritarian rulers to stay in power and government's willingness to do whatever it takes to keep their economies from collapsing, China gathers a lot of support. Resources, weapons, and soldiers pour into the conflict from around the world. Fighting breaks out in the Americas and in Europe. NATO and its allies can't hold off the flood of support for China and Russia. Western powers fall. We know this is an extremely unlikely scenario at this moment in time, but as hyper-nationalism continues to rear its ugly head around the world, and China continues to spread its power and influence by leveraging its economic might, this scenario might not be out of the realm of possibility in the future. Let's look at how this conflict would result in a rewriting of the world map. After the war ended, China would claim all of East Asia as its domain. Beijing may allow certain governments that supported them to remain in power, but Japan, the Philippines, and Indonesia would all be reorganized into Chinese territories, or at the very least, have puppet governments put in place that answer to Beijing. Australia could be one of the last holdouts for democracy in the region, but eventually both the continent and New Zealand would be forced to answer to China. South Korea and North Korea would be reunited, with Kim Jong-un as the supreme leader of everyone within his new borders. Obviously, this was not willingly accepted by South Koreans, but China would crush any resistance and make sure that Korea remained unified as a single nation that would be indirectly under their control. Mongolia would likely be able to maintain its borders by siding with China and Russia during the war as it would literally have no choice because of its location. However, any government in Mongolia would be commanded by Beijing. 
The Middle East would likely keep similar borders as it has today, as long as the governments in this part of the world continuously supply China and Russia with fossil fuels and resources during World War III, the governments in the Middle East would be allowed to continue ruling their respective territories, although Israel would likely be wiped off the face of the map, and its territory would be split between Syria and We need to ensure this reality happens, Central Asia would be a little but this more is what's going on right now currently. Pakistan would likely join Russia and China. This is exactly what's going on with BRICS, by the way. This, they're just describing BRICS. What about India? There's been conflicts in the past and even recently along the Himalayan border. Oh, excuse India me, you Chinese mean Bharat? Tibet. Yeah. China also sees India as a rival in the region and a threat to its power. So it is probable that China and Russia might allow India to remain neutral during World War III, but then attack them later on. And even though India has ties to the U.S. and Europe, it is unlikely that the Indian government would support them in a world war if staying out of the conflict altogether was an option. Perhaps when the dust settles, India will be broken up into three new regions. The northern section will become part of China, the west part of Pakistan, and the south could remain its own nation, but with a government controlled by Beijing. Bangladesh then might be consolidated into one of the regions or gifted to Myanmar for their support during World War III. Severely underestimating India as national by World War III. There's pretty much and no also that India is part of BRICS. Now that India is actually an ally Russia, of Russia China and their allies won the conflict, Finland, Sweden, and Norway would all likely be incorporated into Russian borders. India is just playing no all sides. Sovereignty and Moscow would rule them with an iron fist. Same would go for Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. <coughs> there you Obviously, go. Putin would finally get his wish of incorporating Ukraine into Russian borders. It's this scenario is really playing out. This is the one that's playing nation, out. As it would heavily ally itself with Russia from the beginning. But in reality, Alexander Lukashenko does whatever Putin says anyway. Any nation that was a former part of the Soviet Union would likely become a part of the Russian Empire once again. But what about the rest of Europe? Germany might be able to maintain its borders as long as it gives in to every single one of Russia's demands. A puppet government could be put in place, but a deal might be made since Germany currently relies heavily on Russian fossil fuels. About 35% of Germany's fossil fuels come from Russia, which results in Berlin spending billions of euros on Russian energy supplies each year. There may be a way for the German government to convince Russia to let them stay in power in exchange for continued purchasing of their gas and oil. Of course, this government would pretty much be owned by Putin, but the country itself may not be dissolved. The rest of continental this Europe is exactly might not be what so going to happen. It could be consolidated and turned <laughs> into the exactly European Communist Federation, where each country is no longer a sovereign entity, but a state with a single nation ruled by one of Putin's closest and most trusted allies. Perhaps the new capital of this country would be in Switzerland, as it would be located near the center of the new communist state. Switzerland might even try to stay neutral in the initial conflict, but as soon as Russian troops and allies conquer Europe, even Switzerland would not be spared. The United Kingdom would be too dangerous for Russia to leave as its own entity. So either loyalists to Russia and China would need to be put in power, or the UK would be incorporated into the newly formed European Communist Federation. The borders of the Americas would also shift after World War III if Russia and China won. Canada would likely maintain its borders, and the government there might not even be tampered with. Both Russia and China would need to keep Canada in check. But after its 70,000 active troops, four submarines, and 63 fighter jets were destroyed during the war, Moscow and Beijing have little to worry about when it comes to Canada. The United States, on the other hand, would be completely dismantled. Canada's Russia a bitch. would take back Alaska and incorporate it into its eastern territory. When World War III broke out, Mexico could have been swayed to join China due to its growing economic ties to Beijing. Mexico would never do anything to anger its neighbor to the north without assurance that they'd be protected. 
But as U.S. forces were sent abroad to fight the Pacific and Europe, its military at home weakened. In this scenario, Mexico could bide its time until the United States was forced to surrender while continuously sending supplies and resources to China. When the fighting stopped, Mexico would agree to maintain positive diplomatic ties with Beijing in return for the land taken from them by the United States. And I guess just the people of California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas just agree to become part of Mexico. We're like, fuck it, let's just try this out. Let's just try this out. We like tacos. We're swayed by the argument of just, well, we do like tacos. While the East Coast was divided into I mean, would you want to stay in the United Russia States? No. Although this would be I think I might want to be try out maybe part of Mexico. To keep under control. So perhaps the northeastern and central U.S. would be able to remain a sovereign nation, but with harsh restrictions. Like, yeah, that sounds absurd, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe. I'd say maybe. If we, do, if we do end up, like, sending American troops to die in the Ukraine, yeah, I would like to be part of Mexico. I wouldn't want to be a part of this country anymore. The administrative center for this new Cuban nation would be located in Havana, but communist forces from around the world would need to be deployed to Florida and the surrounding states to ensure no uprisings emerged. Cuba would also likely expand its borders with the aid of Russia to incorporate much of the Caribbean, including Puerto Rico and Haiti. Then there's the matter of countries that formally recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation. If China comes out a victor in World War III, Taiwan will be reincorporated into its borders. Any nation that had formal diplomatic relations with the Taiwanese government would be punished for their insolence. Belize and Guatemala would most likely be integrated into Mexico or perhaps the authoritarian... Oh, Guatemala and Belize are going to get fucked to try Taiwan. Exactly, that's the big consequence of what's going on. Mexico apparently turns into a gigantic empire because China just decides to give all the other smaller Mexican countries begin with. These countries most likely stayed it's too out of complicated. The war. China's just going like to call Brazil, it all Mexico. Which exports huge quantities of soy to China, and Chile, which sends copper and iron ore across the Pacific, might gain special support in the region. Paraguay, on the other hand, would likely be gifted to one of the other countries as it formally recognizes Taiwan. It's possible that Brazil would take control of Paraguay and bring it into its own borders, which already contains around 50% of the land in South America, one-third of Latin America's total population, and 60% of South America's economic output. The borders of Africa would probably remain similar to what they were before the start of World War III. However, some leaders might try to take advantage of the turmoil in the world and invade neighboring territories for their resources. Others might take the opportunity to launch larger battles over disputed land. However, there would likely be no major border shifts as a direct result of the fighting between NATO and its allies against China, Russia, and its allies. Although it's possible that Africa could see an explosion of manufacturing and trade after World War III ends as Russia and China look for more places to procure resources and cheap labor to help rebuild their battle-worn countries and to maintain control of their new empires. So, resource-rich nations like Nigeria, which hold around 25% of the continent's petroleum, and South Africa, which mines $125 billion in mineral resources each year, could gain even more power and influence in the region. These nations will likely form even closer ties to the victors of World War III, which would lead to their dominance in the region. We cannot be exactly sure what the aftermath of World War III will look like if Russia and China and their allies win. Western democracies will likely be dismantled and authoritarian regimes put in place across the world. It seems that this would set the world up for future conflicts as authoritarian leaders aren't really known for getting along with each other. However, we likely won't have to worry about this scenario because it's much less likely than the next one we're about to discuss. Scenario 3. NATO and its allies go to war and win. 
as things stand right now, the remember that this is a completely bizarro world. So as he says, less likely they get actually. Even if China and Russia, or he says like you know more likely they get less likely. So this is the less likely option. It's still unlikely they'd be able to win. The combined might of NATO nations would overwhelm both the Russian and Chinese militaries. For one thing, Russia can't even defeat the Ukrainian military, which is much smaller and has revealed numerous inadequacies in Russia's military, equipment, and leadership. China would be a more formidable foe, but like Russia, a lot of its vessels and armament are outdated. What we will say is that China is rapidly modernizing its military and spending massive amounts of money on creating state-of-the-art weapons. So in the future, China could be a huge threat to the West, but it's not quite there yet. Let's now look at how the borders of the world would be redrawn in this scenario. Like the first World War III scenario, Russia would likely be divided up into different parts after the war ended. The country is 6.602 million square miles. Once again, complete destruction of Russia. Million square kilometers, which is absolutely they, they will not stop until Russia is destroyed. Canada, the second largest nation in Their goal is mass, to destroy Russia and to make it into six different countries. Miles, or 6 Realistically, Russia will destroy the EU and retake again the country itself. As many as six different countries. Federal districts and a new government could be established in each one. However, replacing their leadership with their own. Of the war, this is exactly Western the end game. Solely responsible for helping to establish functioning governments that are elected by the people. And then the ruled as puppets by the other. Three is a unified Russia building up its strength again and starting another global conflict in the future. The danger here is that a divided Russia controlled by the West might cause flashbacks for much of the world during which the European colonization was at its height. There is the possibility that the Russian borders would not change, but instead a new government would be set up in Moscow to help transition the entire country into a more democratic form of government. But like so many armies have found out before, conquering Russia and its people is a somewhat impossible feat. Even with a new democratic government in Moscow, there would still be groups of rebels that would continue to fight against the new government and their Western ideals for decades to come. Even after NATO won World War III, the Russian frontier could become a lawless place. There might be generals or other Russian leaders who could rally large numbers of people together to fight back against the Western. After we won, we still home. haven't won, and we can still get attacked, but we'll declare victory uh, if the scenario plays Therefore, out, because we can't, we can't fathom just declaring and defeat our stalemate. Perhaps a line will be drawn somewhere just to the east of Moscow. To the west of this border, a new European-style series of countries and states will form that are organized similarly to the Democratic Republics of Europe. To the east of the border will be a wild frontier, where warlords fight one another to claim dominance and power. In this and chaotic post-World War III part of the world, there would be too much disorder Just and like fighting for any one group Metro. to gain control, thus leaving eastern Russia in a state of constant flux, meaning this part of the country will never be able to grow powerful enough to threaten the world again. Then there is the matter of China. China is a large country at around 3.7 million square miles or 6 million square kilometers, but it's the nation's population size that'll serve as the real problem when trying to organize this part of the world into a new set of countries with stable governments. China has just over 1.4 billion people within its borders. That is practically all 1.4 billion Chinese citizens that have been brainwashed to see Western ideologies as being evil. In order to create a functional government or a series of governments to lead China after World War III, the territory the will zone be broken up into several parts. There will also be evil. a transitionary government where democratic elections can be held and the brainwashing of the Chinese people ants. by President Xi Jinping and his regime can be broken, splitting China up into several smaller nations and being sensitive to the ethnic identities of people in those regions might help rebuild East Asia after World War III. 
For starters, Tibet would regain its independence and be able to govern itself. Taiwan would become a truly sovereign nation without needing to fear being invaded by China. Then there would be different sections that could be separated, even though a mix of different ethnicities are present. The border of Mongolia could be shifted. The animation for the China, NATO diplomats that are redrawing the map in China, China are fucking totally kikes. Like, it's just absolute Jews. Kazakhstan, where a new government based on democratic elections will be established following the war. Central and eastern China could make up the new borders for a truly democratic Republic of China. And the government in Beijing could oversee this region. Obviously, the authoritarian rule of the Chinese Communist Party would need to be removed. Perhaps a Chinese democracy could be established with multiple parties representing the needs and wants of people instead of the desires of the dictator. Yeah, who else would know what the needs and wants of the Chinese people except for, you know, white people from NATO? The government in Seoul would welcome representatives from the north, and the Korean people would once again be unified, but under a democracy rather than a harsh authoritarian ruler. There would be huge amounts of humanitarian aid sent to Korea. You know, unified, but in a good way, what are we doing? Into a society where they actually have a say in the laws being made and don't need to live in fear for their lives every day. However, this would be true for many parts of the world. If World War III ends with NATO and its allies dismantling the authoritarian regimes in Russia, China, and any country that joined them in their fight, other dictatorships could collapse soon after. Once news traveled around the world that oppressive regimes had lost and democratic ideologies were being implemented in newly formed countries where Russia and China once were, popular uprisings could begin across the planet. Countries in the Middle East could see revolutions to overthrow outdated and oppressive ideas and give every ethnicity and gender more rights. Countries in Central Africa would go through revolutions where people take back their power. Latin American countries that once embraced the ideals of the Soviet Union and authoritarianism could find their populations demanding more freedom and fair elections. The borders in these parts of the world probably won't change much, but the governments and systems might become much more centered around democracy. Ukraine would finally be free from Russian invasion forces, and the Crimean Peninsula would be returned to its borders. Belarus would either be forced to install a new government or be incorporated into the newly formed Western Russia, which would have its capital in St. Petersburg. A lot of what comes out of World War III is the dismantling of countries on the losing side that were too big or had too much power. If Russia and China won the war, the United States and you know, Europe would be too big. Apart, they have too much power. They have fear of Russia power. They are too big. Their populations. If NATO and the West. Who arbitrarily decides if a country is too fucking big? Broken apart into smaller territories, and new democratic governments would be installed to govern the populations within their borders. For the most part, Africa, South America, and the South Pacific probably wouldn't see their borders shift much unless local conflicts escalated as a result of the chaos caused by World War III. It's impossible to tell exactly what the world would look like after a global conflict, but there would definitely be changes to the world map. That being said, if nuclear war erupted as a result of World War III, then much of the Northern Hemisphere would be obliterated by nuclear war. The landscape would become irradiated and pocked with craters. All borders would cease to exist as there would be a mass exodus of anyone who is still alive to more rural areas. At that point, nationality wouldn't matter. Soon after the bombs exploded and missiles stopped falling, the smoke, soot, and debris kicked up by the nuclear explosions would begin blocking the sun. It would spread to the southern hemisphere, making the entire planet all but inhospitable. So, if World War III nuclear results in nuclear winter. war... But this is the fantasy, <coughs> this is the fantasy of the death cultists in NATO. This is why they made 35,000 nuclear missiles, by the way. This is why they made the atomic weapons. This is why they made the nuclear weapons. Because that scenario at the end of the complete annihilation of the world, and thus the complete radical change of 
all the world order, right? To a new world order of pure chaos and death and entropy and emptiness, but at the same time, unchangeable power and control for those that had it to those that were still alive and survived um, from the ashes, the phoenix cycle and stuff of their secret societies and their deep underground military bunkers. That is the scenario that they want you to fear because they can blame that fear, which they have created and put in you on an enemy, which they use the threat of that scenario, that doomsday scenario to control you and your reactions and they use that to manipulate you and exploit you and to serving its agenda and being loyal to it. Although, in reality, the Western military-industrial complex of the USA and its many secret societies that trace itself back to the UK and which control its policies and uh, the, the EU and the NATO nations and the different European uh, seats of power that truly control Western military technology. Uh, they have exploited the American people in that exact same way since the 20th century and before in various capacities, manipulating various populations with the idea of total global annihilation or total national destruction from an invasion of enemies, typically from the East. Uh, this is a mind game. This is a mind fuck of theirs. This is a tactic of these secret societies. Because then they use that to form crusades which attack the eastern nations of exotic peoples, foreigners. Once it was the Muslim nations and the crusades of the Vatican and the Christian European nations. Same scenario is now playing out uh, as it played out a little bit later on in between the two. With the great game, there was a phenomenon in the late or the early modern, uh, early industrial society Europe called the great game, in which <clears throat> the English fought a war in the Crimean Peninsula with the Turks against Russians. And this has been a thing that their secret societies have been focused on for centuries. How to destroy and take over Russia and its monarchy left over from the Moscovites of the Lithuanian Polish royalty who converted to Christianity and became the Tsars. A particular bloodline of peoples who could trace themselves back to Julius Caesar, otherwise known as Jesus Christ. And as the true ruling caste of Russia, these people have been at bloodline odds and enemies, and at the same time behind various ruling dynasties such as the Habsburgs, and the Merovingian of Europe. But since the great change, culturally speaking, into the atomic age, into the secular Khazarian mafia age, of these illegitimate 
tyrants that usurped all standards of existence and created what is now the modern world through corporations and through banking empires and military industrial companies that research and manufacture weapons technologies at an industrial scale that for the last 200 years have benefited from their cold-blooded exploitations of the global populations, mostly of the third world, and to assuming cartels of power, which we know as the Western NATO nations, and controlling the vertical and the horizontal in terms of news, speech media, politics, cultural education, moral education, uh, sexual education, etc. They control monolithically their citizens' perceptions of and allowable perceptions, the thought police perceptions, the, the, the permissible politically correctness of each citizen and each country with this dystopian, authoritarian, um, MK-Ultra-type society based on capitalism that they call capitalism as the good guys, as the heroes of an inevitable global conflict which they intend to create and escalate to the point that it destroys the entire world resetting it once again to a zero year where their preservation rests on advanced technologies that will enslave and rebuild the world that survives this global apocalypse called World War III in their scenario in their image. And less than that they seek the absolute political destruction and recreation of the world that they disprove of based on their refusal to submit to their authorities and their way of life. And yet, in the Orwellian doublespeak, call them the aggressors, call them the authoritarians, call them the evil doers, the axis of evil, Putler, the evil madman tyrant Vladimir Putin, Vlad Dracula Putin. Do you see how just absolutely retarded the West is and thinking that when they thinking that it's not the case where you point one finger at someone and three point back at you and that the bad karma of the West is going to manifest itself in the grandest disaster of their military conspiracy and the greatest failure of any alliance at any juncture in history in any century that has ever happened 
on earth in the human race, human history. And that just like Atlantis fell into the sea, NATO will fall into the sea of time. As their nations succumb politically, internally, to the extensive expertise of espionage that the Russians employ, and militarily, and the realistic, bare-knuckle, low-intensity, actual, battlefield-only ground fighting between conventional troops, armies, navies, and air forces without the use of weapons of mass destructions enforced by the Chinese and Russian nuclear weapons, as well as the NATO nation's real fear of actually destroying the world, the human self-preservation instinct that refuses to allow this to occur. Thank you, each and every one of you. Blessings on the broadcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I've been broadcasting from the third coast, the Gulf Coast of Texas. The coast of the most. A pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank you, each and every one of you. Listeners, new and old. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. God bless you and your families. Follow me on X at Top Secret Texan, all one word, all lowercase, Top Secret Texan. Um, follow me, you know, my website, so star that, bookmark that, update there regularly. All my uploads either come through the app Spotify or iHeartRadio, all the platforms, you know, available there. Going to be producing and re- re-uploading a lot of episodes that I've been producing, at least recently, for this uh, anniversary Kind of bringing them back into the, the you know the forefront, the attention, and everything. You might have missed them. You might not have seen them when you were searching down. You might not have even known they were there. Um, a lot of different subjects I covered over the you know some of the classics, some of the old archives, some of the first episodes so that'll be coming up this time. Uh, thank you each and every one of you that have liked, shared, and uh, subscribed, and and gotten other people to do so. You know, share this with your friends, uh, share this media, uh, you know, your social social media networks and all that stuff uh, you know I appreciate I'm super obliged I need you guys to help out uh, grassroots and everything won't be catching any algorithm uh, waves won't be won't be going viral or anything soon but it's all because you guys recognize good content you guys recognize quality that I am growing steadily uh, across internationally um, across the entire board uh the numbers just keep going up and up and up. And I mean, I, I'm over the moon. I'm really just fucking, you know, it's, it's like cloud nine. Thank you guys. It's all because of you. Greatest audience out there in dreamland. Thank you all very much. Uh, hit me up on cash app, donate a dollar, $5, dollars, $10, uh, $20, whatever you guys got burning a hole in your pocket. Uh, if you send it this way, it goes straight into the podcast, saving up for equipment, saving up to do documentary level video editing, um, you know, going on site, etc., cetera, uh, doing some UFO hunting, getting night vision, uh, thermals, all that good shit, and uh, actually getting a team together, maybe just doing it solo still, and going out and recording real UFO videos with night vision, thermals, IR, etc., outside of military bases, outside of uh, hot spots, industrial areas, all that. So thank you all very much, and across Texas, and, and yeah, definitely. Definitely. This is the Texas uh, program for Texans. This is Texas Strong. 
Uh, thank you all very much for listening. This has been a live recording, live broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan uh, about World War III, about the realistic uh, projections and predictions of the Eastern European War, or what they call World War III's uh, outcome and, an, and, and evolution, an evolutionary path. So thank you all, each and every one of you. Um, God bless you and your families. Peace out.